Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. The reason you have a self-directed IRA generally, and I would say nine times out of 10, is for real estate. And I think that that is the most common usage of it. The negatives of it sometimes are overlooked and people just say, oh, look, an investment account I can put real estate in, boom, that's going to be really good. So that's kind of sometimes where I like to make sure people understand that there can be some downsides to self-directing and people should just be aware of that. What's going on, guys? Welcome into another episode of Money Moves. As always, your host, Matty A, co-host, Mr. Breedwell. What it do, my brother? Notice my screen cut off. It looks like I'm wearing a shirt that just says Queen on it. So I want to know if it has rainbow color. I was going to say, know. for the, you, you switching the band. sides of the plate I now? love the band. I love the band. Uh, uh, I was like, if my boy's wearing a... Uh, a queen shirt, and you know, we ain't talking about the band. I love, I love me a little queen sometimes, man. I think they're, they're one of the greatest little rock bands. Everybody loves them. Little controversial, great music. Did you ever watch their Netflix thing? Yeah, I like. I liked um, who was that? R- uh, Rami Malek did the was like the character man. He did a good job with that little yeah. overbite and all that. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we got a great show for you guys today. Of course, we cover all things stocks, real estate investing, and personal finance. We're going to dig in on a lot of questions and topics that came in over the course of the last week regarding uh, self-directed IRAs and or Roth IRAs. Mr. Breedwell is going to give us his thoughts, um, as well as some of the things that most financial advisors and wealth professionals just won't tell you or teach you about. You're going to get that in today's episode. And of course, just some updates and what's going on in the world economy. Of course, um, our you know political scene and how that ties into what's going on in the stock market, what's going on with the Fed. Inflation data is coming out tomorrow as we record this. It's Tuesday, coming out on Wednesday, but we've got some insights. I was going to say insider information, but that might be dangerous to say. We uh, definitely don't have any of that. <laughs> but we do have some insights and thoughts from Ryan and his camp on where inflation data is going to come in at. And of course, Apple is really kind of taking the, the headline news today and this week on 
um, their, I guess, what state of the company and what's yeah. now the phone and the watch and you know all that it's kind September. of stuff. So this is every September Apple has you know become a custom around September 9th through fifteenth to announce their new you know products. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll dig into that a bit today. I figure we might as well just start it off with some insights on all of our favorite politicians and what's going on in the world of uh, U.S. politics. We got, we might as well just start it off with, uh, you know, our our grandmammy, um, Nancy Pelosi, is lobbying to run again at the ripe age of 83. 36 years in politics with an average annual salary of $193,000. Over the course of that career, she has been able to successfully amass a staggering net worth of over $290 million. Yep. I think this is a perfect example of why one... Well, she is the, the, the role model and case study for cronyism for being a career politician and not having the best interests of the country at hand or the citizens, but more so her own personal interests financially and, you know, uh, lifestyle-wise, big in stock trades and lobbying is ultimately where she has, I think, from some of the investigations, made most of her money. And I think she and many others who kind of model this on both sides of the aisle are the reason why younger generations and people are gone. One, this old archaic dinosaur does not represent me, who I am, what I stand for, or my best interest. And two, it just shows the corruption that is really running rampant throughout our U.S. You know, politics. And what is the likelihood of that congressional bill passing that the, what is it, Senate, Congress, essentially anybody? I think it has to pass both. Um, okay. And was signed by the president, which I don't think, I think if it passes, you know, I'm fairly certain it's bipartisan. Like there's support from both sides. Um, I think the only people that don't want it are the old, you know, guard, the younger, newer politicians on both sides of the street are pushing and saying, hey, we not only need this, but we probably need to implement term limits. Yep. Uh, you see Mitch McConnell, and absolutely has, and looks like he's having a stroke uh, when he's, Pausing like that yep. on, on live television and, and can't even finish a sentence and talk, or he's had a stroke and he has the remnants of that. So I think that term limits are important. I also think when you have term limits, you're, you're encouraged to produce results in a faster manner because you don't have the time to right. sit around and create all these relationships. So it's it, from a common sense perspective, no matter who you are, Republican, Democrat, independent, it should be synonymous and agreeable that, yes, we shouldn't have people in politics for 30, 40, 50 years in the same position because then nothing changes because you have the same thing um, and and politicians are supposed to affect change. And it also forces them to be better politicians. Yep. Um, So that's that's what I think about that. Yeah, I, I love it. I hope that... Is there any timeline around this actually becoming a reality or... I, I think it. I think it has a high likelihood. Uh, it could pass. I wouldn't be surprised if it was put into. If it got to the president's desk, it, I think it has a high likelihood of getting signed before the um, election right. year, because it's kind of like a olive branch to both sides. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, so 
I think that would not only be a good political move for the Biden administration, but I do think that it also makes sense that it, it provides a, a more level playing field. It, it really shows, you know, that anybody who would have an issue with this, it would, it would red flag them as having, you know, yep. hey, why do, why do you care? Why not just buy the, an ETF or a mutual fund? You just can't buy the individual stock. You can still make a great return and, and retirement and living off of that. It's not as good sometimes as individual stocks, but it's also you don't have any bias to yeah. avoid. You know, yep. there's no conflict of interest. So well, yeah, you're there to serve the American people, not your own right. selfish interests, right? So it shouldn't right. be an issue then on, on that front. It was funny. Um, <laughs> Mitch McConnell was, came up on the TV and Ella goes, oh, that guy looks like Squidward. Like, oh, oh, he actually it? looks like the pout pout fish from my book that you read me all the time. And man, he's like a spitting image of both of them. He was just a big old... I will say, man, I've said it before. His... Oh, that gullet. How about that? The angle and game is tough. Dude, he has to lotion that and like keep it oh, up. Yeah, that gullet game is... It looks so smooth. Dude, I sometimes I'm like, what is he What is he storing for later? Like, who is he going to go feed with that? He's got something going on there. I like he's talking to the back. But hey, I wish the best of luck to him. He just needs to, he needs to step aside and do what's best for his constituents, what's best for his party, and what's best for the American people, which is a fresh perspective. Somebody else that is healthy to lead uh, in that role as the minority uh, leader in the Senate. And um, it's just responsible. And it's yeah, a precedent for us. For It would set a precedent for, hey, Nancy Pelosi, hey, Diane Feinstein, look what we've done now. You can't really say that we're, you know, doing something, saying something, one thing and doing another, because that's not the case. Yep. Well, it sounds like as of uh, the medical report that was published by whoever, how dehydrated he, he does not intend to to step down and so hydrated. Hopefully they have good water. We can, yeah, we can. They need that alkaline. What what's that good water you like drinking? If anybody works for Essentia, we would be happy to, to rock, rock, rock and drink and I and, will drink enjoy your water all day long. Love it. I would love it, but that yummy nine point five Essentia. Shout out to Essentia. All right, so let's get the additional political headlines out of the way today speaker kevin mccarthy has announced a formal impeachment inquiry into president joe biden i loved what uh chuck schumer did a a press conference today and he goes the american people don't want the government spending their time and their money on some witch hunt trying to get answers (laughs) and just could right out of the playbook of donald trump shock oh my gosh i couldn't help but laugh and think about the witch hunt they've been on and the vengeance they've been fueled by to go and get donald trump and how much money and time and energy and lack of productivity has resulted and been a waste of the american people who earn taxing dollars to go and string this guy out to dry uh, I just thought it was wild. Even it's like it would be, it wouldn't help the American people really to throw Hillary Clinton in jail. I mean, just, what is that going to do? It's just going it, to, it's like, why would you go and scratch, you know, obviously she's not, she's been looked into. She's obviously checked the boxes to not get herself caught. If it, 
the fair on one side, maybe it's fair on the other, but we, we don't need to spend taxpayer dollars to look into that either. I don't think it's right as a Republican to say, go after Hillary Clinton, just like I don't think it's right with it to have a crazy obsession with Donald Trump. Yep. Um, nice thing is, in the, in the short period of time, we'll get to move on from all of those people and we'll have a fresh well, perspective and hopefully term limits. And hopefully that bill does pass because it would be better, again, for the American people to not have conflict of interest when people are making policy. Agreed. So let's shift over towards the market. How's the market doing this week? I saw a recent comment from Goldman Sachs CEO saying the chance of a soft landing has risen very meaningfully, but that the economic outlook is still uncertain, which feels probably to me, and I'm curious on your take, like the most accurate representation of my sentiment of the market. It seems like there's going to be a soft and or no landing, but it still feels uncertain and somewhat uneasy that it could take a quick, sharp right turn, left turn. What are your thoughts on that? What's the market thinking and or showing you guys right now? I would agree that that's a very uh, eloquent way to put it. I don't think... Um, I've, I think I've said kind of a no landing scenario is probably my most uh, likely just because the inflation data is still a little whip, you know, whipsawy. Um, we we see oil prices spiking. That's going to shoot up headline inflation, which people will make a big deal about, but it's not going to move core. So core components are still moving down, which is what the Fed wants to see. The thing is, if they keep seeing headline be wacky, they're not going to they're they're going to consider less rate cuts and more holding even if core comes in line because they'll want to have both of them kind of tamed so they don't kind of celebrate prematurely. So it's, it's not bad that headline is up and it's going to be up quite a bit, probably month over month. But it's also not good if that keeps happening over and over and over again, even if core can, components continue to come. So it looks like tomorrow, the Bureau of Labor Statistics will release inflation data for the month of July. The consensus is for a 0.6% increase in CPI and a 0.2% increase in core CPI. The consensus yeah. is for CPI to be up 3.6% year over year, up from 3.3% in July, and core CPI to be up 4.3% year over year, down from 4.7% in July. Now, it did note that a key component to watch is the year-over-year change in shelter. Asking rents are mostly flat year-over-year, but renewals are still increasing. And this has kept the Bureau of Labor Statistics measure of shelter inflation from falling faster. The index for shelter was by far the largest contributor to the monthly um, all-items increase, accounting for over 90% of that increase with the index for motor, motor vehicle insurance also contributing to that. But over 90% of that data being kind of skewed by um, the shelter data still running a little hot. Yeah, and that, again, is something to keep an eye on, but is one of the reasons that that is removed from the core components. It's just too volatile because, you know, 60 days ago, that wasn't anything we were talking, even though it was happening 60 days ago. Right. Um, so. As long as core continues to moderate and go down, we're probably in this, you know, pause. I mean, they're for sure going to pause in the meeting in eight days, um, seven days from when this broadcast. Um, I think the only thing that would throw that arise if we have a really hot and heavy print 
tomorrow on core, followed up by maybe some less important economic indicators, but they came in way more hot and heavy and they they led that to say maybe we need to have one more hike. I don't see that any more hikes happening though. I really think they're just going to pause through, continue to have the notion that they may hike if they need to. And, you know, shocker, I think that's anybody can say that. They may cut if they need to as well. They're just not going to say that. Yep. Um, they may pause if they need to. So, I mean, they're going to do their job. I just think they're going to keep the door open that if we need to hike, it's not off the table. But I think you have to understand that even though they're not saying it, they are also implying that if, if and when they need to cut, they're going to start leading towards that. And I, it's more so with the oil prices coming up, which is going to come up in the November meeting. So that's going to be something people are talking about at the next meeting in November is the oil prices today because we're going to be looking at that data during that time because again, it's lacking. Um, why, are, so, why are oil prices continuing to rise right now? I saw that Biden administration has kind of put a halt to certain drilling in Alaska. They're issuing new kind of incentives. Obviously, there's a global, you know, um, kind of tie-in and aspect here that is being accounted for. What's what's going on from your perspective on on oil and gas, and how is that going to continue to impact the markets and just everyday, you know, consumers? Well, when like Saudi Arabia, for example, or open, you know, the oil um, cartel OPEC, you know, gets together and they decide to cut oil production um, or keep it limited to a certain amount and not increase it at all, while we are also going to get, you know cut off some of our drilling, that's going to stipend um, the oil supply around the world and that's going to increase the crude oil cost per barrel. We've been much higher than this, you know, been around 125 a barrel, I think back uh, around, you know, early 2000s after the invasion of uh, Iraq and Iran. But the, um, the, the problem with that is in the bigger scope of things, at least in my side of the street, that number cooks that headline number high, right? And that's not, again, it's not as important as the core number. But if that continues to be hot, I wouldn't be surprised if the Fed uses that as to say, hey, we just don't want to get you know too ahead of our skis here and start cutting too soon. And it could lead to pausing for much longer than is anticipated by the current uh, market. So the nice, the good news is, Core inflation data is going down. It's going down sharply. And if you look at current data, not lagging data, it's down even sharper. So it's going to continue to catch up and continue to have good prints. The thing that throws that off is if we like in, you know, July, we have a really crazy um, employment data come in that's unexpected. And, you know, that's led by one other thing. It's a kind of a domino effect that could throw that off. I, I think the chances of that happening now versus when it happened in July are even less. Now, we're seeing statistically <clears throat> that more and more Americans are starting to feel financially stressed. 74% of Americans feeling financially stressed in August is up from 70% in an April survey. 37% of res respondents indicated that they are very stressed about their personal finances compared to only 30% in April. I know we've been kind of talking about this consumer sentiment 
potentially one, the psychological side of people losing confidence and steam and what's kind of going on in this post-pandemic era, but also kind of some of the financial reserves slowly depleting and people kind of get into the end of their financial rope. Any other insights or data come out around that and how that could be a potential linchpin and some slowing of the economy as a whole? Yeah. So consumer sentiment is good as far as an indicator of how consumers are feeling. And so that can be a emotional indicator on other reports. Consumers are happy. So that's why XYZ, you know, uh, yep. factory orders are up. Consumers are not happy. That's why factory orders are down. You know, just connecting the dots. The thing that is historically accurate, though, on that data is it's one of the most inaccurate indicators of where the stock market is going to go. And in fact, if you fade that, um, if you were to fade that piece of data, meaning if the consumer sentiment was high and you sold, or consumer sentiment was low and you bought, you would have won more times than lost. So I believe they have a study by either Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch. They kind of released that a couple of years back. And I've referenced it a few times before when talking to others. But consumer sentiment is actually one of the better indicators that you can fade as far as where the market might go. Sometimes and most of the time, when the consumer sentiment starts to degrade, that becomes the time when it's probably a better time to get into the market versus times when consumer sentiment was going up by a lot. You tend to have more greed than reason when consumer sentiment rises. Mm -hmm. So that is the reason behind it. Now, I saw, and I was just curious on this, of your take, your thoughts, and if there's anything you guys are kind of mobilizing around this point, the U.S. now has more imports from Mexico than China for yeah. the first time since 2003. Is there anything relevant about that data point that you guys are paying attention to? And if so, what? I don't know if we're paying attention to that specifically as a whole, but I think that from... If I could interject my opinion on that, I think yeah. that's awesome. Um, it's better for everybody if we could get our goods at a similar or better cost uh, with our neighbors versus shipping things. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I think a lot of people don't understand. Like in um, Sacramento, where we're from, we produce and grow a lot of the world's rice. But we ship it back to Japan, which then distributes it out through the rest of the world so they can call it Japanese rice. Um, that's inefficient. And that causes supply chain, uh, hiccups, it raises the cost of our products. So again, if we could if we could trade with the country of Mexico and not only increase their economic output with again a neighbor and somebody that we tend to get along with a lot better than China, I think that's awesome because I would love to slowly um, unwind our dependence on China as I'm sure China is looking to unwind their dependence on us. But right now. We, our economies are codependent of each other because we consume what they produce. So I, I, would, I would love that to be more so with Mexico because we can negotiate with them better. And also they, you know, could, they could have a much better impact on their country and people. And I think that those people in that country like us better than... Maybe not the people, I won't speak for that, but definitely the government of that country. Mm. Yeah. Is, 
recent, uh, I think, Rushir Sharma of Financial Times reported that, oh, yeah. Yeah. that he, he believes that China's economy is likely headed for a financial crash. I agree. It, how does that impact the U.S. in a good and or a bad way? It would actually be a positive. So it's a negative on the world market because it's going to cause a, it's going to cause some short term hiccups, mm-hmm. but it will make the value of foreign currency higher there. And we that means that if you were buying one good, you know, one to one, you might be able to buy two to one or three to one the same good, and either not increase your price and increase your margin. Or pass that savings through to your consumers, which I would argue a lot of companies would choose to pass some, if not all of that savings to their consumers to increase their help. Um, so I, as a whole, I don't think that that would be a huge deal. And they're kind of due for that. They're, again, they've manipulated their currency and their economy for so many years to make them appear that they were doing better than they were. And that's why when, I, when people talk about BRICS or whatever... You know, is going to happen with that group of uh, people. I'm not, I know that that won't go anywhere because those countries, you cannot depend on those countries or their economies because they're not as transparent or as open as our economy or our um, government is, even though we still keep some things and a lot of things uh, close to chest. Biden was at the G20 summit, Xi Jinping was not. Um, I can tell you, Biden straight put up there and said, yo, all these countries, and this is a fact that you thought the the Belt and Road Initiative was going to be great. Look at how much debt and these bad loans that were given to you, and what China has done. You know, they say one thing, but they don't always follow through with it. United States has billions of dollars for you. We're ready to spend it, but you need to do it with us. And I will tell you, it was fairly well received. And this is where politics need to come back to normal. I am very happy with Biden for doing that, whether it was his idea or not. That was an appropriate move because we need to be, we don't need to be the world police, but we still need to be on the forefront because we are such a developed country of helping these countries catch up. And if we can help them and they can develop in a a state of democracy, whether that's perfect or not, it's a whole hell of a lot better than having a bunch of communism or you know, socialism or whatever you want to call it, spread by these other actors and have them influence those countries for what seems to be the worse. So that was a very strong move, I think, at the G20 summit. And I think it shows, you know, I don't think Xi Jinping was there for a reason. I don't think he wants to show face to a lot of these countries that they shook their hand in person and then, you know, pretty much screwed them over behind closed doors with fine print and bad loads. So that's that's what happens when you do business with actors like that. You get kind of the bed you make and you have to lie in it. And that you don't know that until you find out. But that's again, what, that's an indicator of why I'm not worried about those types of bricks and stuff. Then they're lying. Whenever they say they're going to do, you could, you could pretty much bet on it as good as you could bet on a racehorse. Yep. So let's shift over to self-directed IRAs. Roth IRAs, maybe for those that, and again, you know, you're, I can speak all day long to, you know, real estate lingo and language and private equity and all that kind of stuff, right? At a very high level. You get me asking, you know, about IRAs and 401ks. It's like hieroglyphics in a cape to me. Mm -hmm. So we've got 
you and your amazing team always available to answer questions, provide support. Um, you obviously do the free financial x-ray for those that have an investment portfolio that want somebody to go through it with a fine-tooth comb, to look at the fees, to do cost comparisons, to do a plan comparison. And if you guys haven't taken advantage of that, you're a listener, um, it's complimentary. Ryan and his amazing team will do it. All you have to do is just text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. That being said, maybe we could start... Let's just go over some 101, some basics, right? And explain what the, what is a self-directed IRA and how does it differ from a traditional or a Roth IRA? So like a standard IRA versus a self-directed IRA, obviously like that asset choice is generally different, right? Normally in a IRA, Roth or standard, you're going to put stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, options, and, and that such. Um, in a self-directed IRA, you're going to have a little bit more of a diverse asset choice. And you can purchase real estate, um, private business shares, uh, precious metals, which you can also purchase in your regular IRA. I forgot to mention that. Um, I think pretty much anything you can, you can put a lot of the stuff that you can't put in your IRA. I think the only limitations are going to be no life insurance and no collectibles, like things that are not actual, you know, marketable assets. Mm -hmm. um, so those things you can't put in there. But those, that's the, the reason you have a self-directed IRA generally, and I would say nine times out of 10, is for real estate. And I think that that is a, the most common uh, usage of it. The um, negatives of it sometimes are overlooked and people just say, oh, look, an investment account I can put real estate in boom, that's going to be really good. So that's kind of sometimes where I like to make sure people understand that there can be some downsides to self-directing and people should just be aware of that. Just like yeah. there's downsides to a Roth IRA or a standard IRA and people should be aware of that as well. So on uh, of, of the three, if you had to pick one that was your favorite, what would you say is your favorite or does it depend on the individual person and where they're at? Or is there a, hey, this one's king above all, even no matter what situation you're in? I don't like, uh, I have a custodian that when people call, um, and if somebody was to ask me, I would say, hey, this is the one that if you were going to use a self-directed, I would use because they have a flat fee schedule and they don't care how much assets you have and their, their fee is very low. Um, I still prefer, and I think you would too, um, not using self-directed IRAs. And I'll tell you why. Um, the main reason is, and you've heard me talk about not preferring IRAs because they're qualified accounts. A mm -hmm. self-directed IRA is a qualified account. You give, that's an IRS controlled account. So, and that's the federal government. That's just a, you know, an entity owned by the federal government. That's mm -hmm. the tax people. That is still going to have to be have age 59 and a half restrictions. You're not going to be able to take things in and out of there. There's going to be liquidity rules on there. And pretty much everything that you get from your real estate just goes right back into that account. So if I had to choose a qualified account and what type of assets I think are better to put in there, with really, I swear, no bias, it's really better to use a standard IRA or a Roth IRA for mutual fund stocks and ETFs because that's just the best 
thing it's built for. Go open an LLC or an S-Corp and buy the real estate there because you get all the tax benefits from holding the real estate as a real estate investor. And you don't get those tax benefits or not all of them from self-directing. And so that, again, I just don't know why people are so obsessed with it. I think it's just because the the sexy part is, oh, hey, I can move money from like, uh, you know, the way to jumpstart my investment. I would argue a HELOC would be a better way if you owned a home to get into real estate investing versus rolling over an IRA or a 401k or something like that. Because there's tax benefits for your HELOC. Your HELOC can be used for home improvements and uh, multiple other things. And it also, you can get certain products that gain interest if you don't use the product that go against or offset some of your cost. So I think that it's just better to use things for what they're best designed for. And I don't think, and I know, the IRS did not design IRAs self-directed specifically to best be suited for real estate. Yeah. Can you do it? Absolutely. Should you do it? Not in my opinion. I think you should hold real estate in directly um, through either a trust or an LLC so you can get the benefits of holding that asset directly. I, yeah. I, and take the income from it and it's taxed as a rental income under like a capital gain scenario versus earned income. It just, again, it doesn't make sense why you would throw yourself into a IRS controlled account when most of the people that real estate want real estate for the freedom it provides. You, yeah. you forego a lot of the freedoms that you're going to get by, um, by self-directing in my opinion. Yeah, the, a lot of trouble that a lot of people sometimes. I couldn't agree more. And usually what I have seen or heard of people using their self-directed IRAs to buy real estate or, or to invest in real estate, oftentimes they are, I'll just call it very green or very removed from the reality and or understanding all the benefits of how to leverage the investment vehicle of real estate to their advantages. And therefore, they just do it because it sounds sexy and it seems mm -hmm. like it makes sense. But when you really, like you said, right, understand all the benefits of owning real estate in an LLC and how you can take advantage of all of those loopholes, it wouldn't make sense to do it out of a self-directed IRA. That being yeah. said, most of the people, and correct me if I'm wrong, who do do it just seem to be either very green and or misinformed or misdirected from the council that is telling them it's okay to do it that way when there really is better options out there. I... To this day, and this could change, and I think I don't. I think my father, probably with thirty years, would tell you the same thing. Never seen anybody hit the retirement desk with a self-directed, like a big self-directed IRA. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, we find people that started with a self-directed IRA and then they stop because they run into, oh man, I have to do a. I think it's a fifty-nine forty-eight form. I don't know how to fill that form out, so now I have to hire a CPA. Um. I might have taken rental income from that and I have a loan against this property. So now I'm, even though I'm putting the rent back into the self-directed IRA, I have UDFI, which I wrote down what that stands for because I knew I was going to uh, forget what it was called, but it's uh, unrelated debt finance income. Um, so there's all these little things that, are, that just get in your way and you're like, why 
why am I putting money into this account and dealing with this when I could literally just take the same amount of money? Sure, I might pay some taxes on it, mm-hmm. but I'd rather have the net amount after to have full control over it and go deploy that the way I see fit. Yep. 100% agree there. Now, that's my opinion on, on self-directing to me sounds better than it actually is. Yeah. In terms of fees, I know that's a question a lot of people always have around fees in terms of setup fees, annual maintenance fees, transactional costs. They tend to be quite... So the average fee, like as I see on self-directed, is like 2% of the account balance. So to give you an idea, I make about $850 per $100,000 of assets that I made. Um, depending on the client's total asset size, I can mm-hmm. change. Um, the same hundred thousand dollars at a traditional, you know, maybe like Horizon or something. I'm not saying you know just any self-directed IRA company. Yeah, probably would be two thousand dollars in fees that you paid. And then there's all these little transaction fees like, hey, you got to pay 50 bucks if you want to receive ACH in or when you need to send a a wire out, it costs $150. You have to pay us $36 for this. You got to pay us $100. All these little itty bitty things that when you add them up, you know, sometimes like 2.4, 2.6, 3, 4% on these accounts. And they're just not, and, and people don't understand that. All they see is the big, you know, their eyes get big and they say, oh man, I want to get into real estate. What's the quickest and easiest way that I think I know how to do it? And I'm going to go self-direct some money. But it ends up turning and backfiring on them. And I've never... I advise my clients not to use their qualified accounts for real estate because it doesn't make any sense. And I I almost always, when I run into them, people are trying to figure out what to do with them and they don't know that they can put them you know, into like an IRA or something like that and just use those for what that that money is kind of best suited. Yeah, makes sense. Now, talking about the kind of tax side of things, what are some of the tax implications that people don't pay attention to or they should be thinking about when utilizing these types of IRA vehicles? Yeah, so I'll go back to the unrelated debt finance income because that's the main one that I see. And the scenario for that would be somebody uses a loan. You know, they go get a loan and they buy a property um, for their self-directed IRA. The income from that property would be subject in most cases. You should check with your tax professional and CPA on this. But I believe in most cases would be subject to unrelated debt finance income. And that is money that you have to deal with, or excuse me, uh, taxes and penalties you have to deal with upfront that a lot of people don't understand or um, know about. And then you add that to the high fees you might pay. You generally have to have third-party involvement with self-directed IRAs, so like a TPA. Um, So that way you can prove that you're not self-dealing, you're not doing per se transactions. Things like that. So it's it's a lot more complicated than just throw money into an account, calling itself directed and buying uh, real estate. You tend to need to be very savvy. There's very specific times and instances where it may make sense to self-direct. But in most cases, in my opinion, it just doesn't. 
Now, on kind of the best case scenario of IRAs and leveraging the vehicle to the best of its ability from your opinion, what would you say would be a good rule of thumb or something that people could aim to work towards to get the most benefit out of an IRA, whether that's a monthly contribution, whether that's a certain timeline of making those contributions? Like, How do you see this potential vehicle being leveraged to its fullest potential for you know, an investor like myself, let's say? Yeah, I was going to say the main people that use them are like hedge funds or like really extremely experienced real estate investors. I'm sure you've heard of people doing complicated or mm-hmm. very many pieces, pieces, complicated buying strategies and funding strategies and using that because there's maybe an advantage for the IRA holding title to the property versus the individual. There's some anonymity to it. It shields you from some things. That is an advantage, maybe. So it's normally really only used for that, you know, in, in that case. I prefer brokerage accounts, life insurance, personally owned uh, real estate, all non qualified assets, yep. because the individual that holds ownership to those accounts has the keys to how those accounts are used. They are subject to taxes and they're subject to some rules, just like all people are and all investments are but they have more control over them. I mean, I can't even imagine dealing with RMDs, required minimum distributions with real estate. What happens if you don't have any cash built up? You'd have to start liquidating or Mm -hmm. loans against your real estate and your self-directed IRA in order to do RMDs. So again, they're just not best designed. It's almost like why I tell people there's whole life insurance and there's universal life insurance. Most people sell whole life insurance because it's the original. Generally, the commissions are higher. The renewal commissions are higher. So the agent is compensated more and they're essentially incentivized to sell those types of products. You also have easy... They're easier to sell because people have earlier cash value uh, to access. But in the long run, most people that have policies and use them and keep them use universal life policies because they tend to have lower loan costs you can lend against them eventually and use them for arbitrage. And they're better in the back end for retirement income planning. Real estate is best uh, uh, Real estate is best held in title of an LLC you own, in my opinion, or a business you own or individually. And um, you shouldn't use um, a qualified account unless you really have to, in my opinion, because you have more benefits of having liquidity to the account, having access to the funds if you need to for an emergency, and also paying, you know, 40 to 60% less in taxes in the back end. That's kind of the recipe that book we've talked about before, The Power of Zero. <laughs> they talk about the real easy way. They use a Roth IRA. I, I would say real estate instead of Roth IRA. How to get to that 0% tax bracket legally and without having to do a whole lot of crazy stuff, except own three assets that are pretty common, just doing them in the proper way. Now, wrapping this piece up, what do you think is the best routine or rhythm that people should have around monitoring <clears throat> their investments and in vehicles and also interacting or what they should expect in terms of interacting with their financial advisor who is an engaged, proactive, communicative advisor who really does have their best interests in mind? Generally, when you set an investment up, you're going to want to make sure you have it around for three to five years before you start expecting, you know, 
some real results to come around. It's starting to say, okay, this investment's had time to go through a market cycle. It's had time to be there for a certain period of time. This is when I can start really getting some check-ins with my advisor, maybe annually or biannually to make sure things are on the right track. Until then, you kind of need to let things kind of play out as they may. Mm-hmm. Um, my clients, I just tell them, I am, I'm not going to call you every single year because I have too many people to do that. And I would just be calling people all the time. But you can call me whenever you like and we can get you on the calendar and we can go over whatever you need to go over, have, you know, build you a financial plan, go through all that all at any time, you know, cost, no charge. And my clients know that. And that empowers them to reach out when they have questions. And that's how I set the standard with my clients. Some places are just going to call you on the one year anniversary of your, your account being set up ask you a couple questions and call you again a year later. We are just available whenever our clients want to, to contact us. And some people contact us frequently and some people don't contact us very much at all. It's up to the client. But yeah. each advisor has their way of setting up their level of communication. I just think if clients want more contact, they should communicate that to their advisor. And if they don't care about contact, their advisor should let them know how much they're going to contact them and set that expectation up front to make sure that they understand that. It makes sense. Well, guys, if you want to connect with Ryan and his amazing team uh, regarding a free financial portfolio x-ray and review, or you have other questions specifically about certain products, um, you can always text in x-ray to 844-447-1555. That'll get you connected with him. And... Uh, I think just some some great insights there that it always reminds me that you know this world of financial freedom and pursuing it and unlocking it one there's so many different paths so many different vehicles that can be leveraged and utilized to get there and to cover the ground but it also reminds me of how much I don't freaking know you know and I still consider myself pretty um you know, engaged with a lot of these tools and, you know, these strategies. And yet, you know, this this juggernaut of a financial system that we get to play and operate within seems to have no ends. And you can always continue to sharpen the axe, continue to learn. And most importantly, it also reminds me that you don't have to be the expert in all of those things as long as somebody you do know that's on your team is. And that's why I feel so grateful to have one, you just on the show with us every week and this becoming a you know a staple and a segment of the Millionaire Mindcast that so many people enjoy and get value from, but also, right, it, it just it continues to allow me to grow into those conversations and you know sharpen my own axe and put more tools on my tool belt for financial planning and wealth building that you know com- accompany my real estate uh, you know expertise. So if you fall on one side or the other, you know, making sure that you're continuing to surround yourself with people that are in the trenches, on the front lines, constantly sharpening the tools on their tool belt that you can pull off and utilize if and when needed and or right collaborating with the right professionals. So with that being said, we appreciate you guys tuning in for this week. Great insights on the IRA. And again, if you guys have any questions, text the word X-Ray to 844-447-1555 to connect with Ryan and his team. Be sure to check out MillionaireMindcast.com for all the updated show notes, links, resources, products that we have available for you guys in the store to help you on your wealth building journey. And until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth. 
on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're going to get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also, don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out is most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective, or really in most cases, overcharged, and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's x-ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word deals to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out. And last Don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at MillionaireMindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level, we've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friends. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, This is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon.